Well, welcome everybody to Professor Jay's classroom. This is Professor Jay. I am again coming to you live from Texas, the great state of Texas, and uh, wanting to talk about a few things. Um, and again, hope you know we're going to address issues and we're going to look at things from a policy perspective, but we're also going to look at things from um, you know, political, historical, and all those things. Uh, this is what I cover in my classroom. This is what I talk about when I talk about policy. Uh, we don't want to be overly emotional and when we're involved in policy, but we do want to make sure that we're looking at things um, both rationally and, and emotionally. I don't think you can have um, good policy if you don't have both sides of the heart. Um, if you don't have the head and the heart involved in the policy. So again, uh, welcome, and let's talk about today's news. Uh, last night we had the first round of the Democratic debates. Uh, where there are uh, 23, I think, or 26 candidates. Um, this round of debates is hopefully going to start winnowing uh, the field because the next debate in September is going to be harder to get into. You won't be able to um, watch as many uh, people get up there and talk, uh, which is good. It's good that they're starting to winnow down the, uh, the candidacies of people. Um, it's amazing how many people decide that they think that they can be president of the United States. Uh, same thing happened with the Republicans in um, 2016, I think there were 16 candidates at one point in time uh, for the Republican nomination. Um, and then in 2012, I think there were eight or nine. It was huge. Um, you couldn't fit them all on one stage. Uh, the 2016 uh, presidential election uh, it was the first time, I think, in the history of American politics where um, you had more than enough people to sit on to fit on a stage so they had to have two debates and i don't know if the two debate uh, platform works because one person wins and it's great and it's awesome and then you go to the next night and then there's the real front runners you know um maybe it'll help but does it really really help the people who maybe should be the candidate, but are really far down in the polls. I remember with the 2016 election, um, I really liked Carly Fiorona. Uh, she was my favorite um, in the Republicans. I really thought she would do a great job. Um, I thought she would have been an incredible... Um, I thought she would have been an incredible... Uh, challenger to Hillary, uh, I think would have been a great juxtaposition. Um, and I didn't, the reason why I didn't vote for Cruz, even though he's my senator, and I voted for him to be my senator, was for that very reason. I didn't vote for him to be president. I voted him for, to be my senator uh, from a, just from a purely, um, you know, ideological standpoint on my own part. Um, I think you should at least finish one term in the office you initially ran uh, for before you start running for another office. Um, I know that Cruz saw an opportunity. He saw popularity in Texas, and he ran a great campaign, and ultimately he came, a, you know, 
a few electoral votes, um, a few um, primary votes away from from becoming the presidential candidate. Uh, Donald Trump ultimately uh, beat him. But again, I really liked Carly Fiorina. Well, I felt like Carly Fiorina was starting to pick up a lot of momentum. But because of where she was, she was not um, on the, the second night debate stage until much later in the, in the uh, campaign. And so I feel like, um, you know, looking at the, the structure of presidential campaigns now, we almost are in a situation where, you know, it's everybody's running for president. Um, and you almost have to go, okay, fine. You know what? Let's do one debate. Let's not do two. Let's do one. Um, you know, fairness is overrated. Life isn't fair. And if you're not, if you're, if you, if your ground game is not good enough to get you in the top eight or in the top four, then, you know, you're probably not going to win the presidency anyways. Um, and I, you know, I, as much as I, you know, it hurts me to say that because again, Carly Fiorina rose up through the ranks as a result of some of the debates and her performances. Um, you know, if you don't have the name recognition, you don't have, you know, maybe that will stop all of this 30 candidates for running for president. Um, I mean, especially considering the fact that we don't have multiple parties in this country. We have two parties and they're running for one, uh, party's deal. Um, you know, last podcast I was talking about, I'm, re- I'm reading a Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And, you know, it talks about all the different people and how the primaries were done and who decided what and all that. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you, before we started ele- putting the primaries in the hands of the people, you know, yeah, you had the political bosses making these decisions, but it really was the party that made the decision. It wasn't, it was the party players that made the decision and the political bosses would do the machinations and the smoke filled rooms and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you know, it was, it was the, the voters of, you know, it was the voters that ultimately put them in that position. So, um, so the next thing that we're going to do is um, is we are going to look at some of the news, um, especially coming out of the debate. Uh, you had um, Marianne Williamson. Who is Marianne Williamson? Well, Marianne Williamson is basically a New Age uh, Christian guru who, um, and, I, and I use the term Christian very loosely, um, I would imagine she probably doesn't speak a lot about Jesus. All right, but people call her that. And so um, she's Oprah's guru. She wrote the course on miracles, you know, how to expect miracles in your life. There's a viral video of her um, having the white parishioners gather around the black parishioners of her church and praying for forgiveness uh, for past atrocities. And I mean, we can, we could talk for hours on that particular, uh, can of worms, but we're not, we're going to look at, so she did really well. And she talked about there were dark days ahead for the democratic party. Um, you know, she talked about how that Trump has 
change things in our society and there's a bad psychic juju going on and all this kind of stuff. And she did really well. She broke the judge, the drudge poll. She, um, she was the number one researched candidate out there, which is, it's really interesting that the most spiritual candidate tends to be the one people are looking at the most. Um, that's again, another topic for another day. Uh, you also have Peter Buttigieg, uh, Buttigieg or Buttigieg, uh, Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana, um, and you know, trying to use scripture to uh, to cast disper- uh, disper- dispersion uh, upon Christian conservatives because we won't pass uh, a minimum wage, and talking about that, you know, the oppression of the poor to poor the oppressed is a violation against God using scripture from Proverbs. Well, that's great, but I think what he's looking at is, you know, poor people not getting $15 an hour because the government doesn't mandate it is not oppression of poor people according to our Lord. All right. Um, If we were really to look at that, that would be one of the things that we would see is if you really examine the scriptures, I would, I would begin to argue that, you know, the government coming in and keep in through their policies, keeping the poor from being able to participate in the market is oppression of the poor. Um, more so than the, you know, them not saying, okay, well, here's your little piece of the market. Here you go. Um, you know, we can talk about the $15 an hour minimum wage. It's, it's economically unfeasible. Every state and city that implements it pushes small businesses out of their state. It kills small businesses. And who are small business owners but the poor? Um, we can talk about deregulating industries so that way the poor can enter into those, um, you know, because again, the market fixes itself. If you understand how the market works, um, here in Texas, in fact, we passed a bill where we deregulated the plumbing industry. All right, no longer do you need to have um, a plumbing license to be a plumber. Now, that may sound very dangerous. And again, it could be very dangerous. Uh, people not knowing what they're doing in the plumbing community could very could damage people's homes, could cause problems in people's, uh, could kill someone. I mean, plumbing is, is a very exacting skill. Uh, that's why plumbers pay a lot of, get paid a lot of money that, and they have to deal with everybody's excrement. Okay. But here in Texas, we, we deregulated that industry and said, you don't need a license anymore. That's a good thing. Even though the plumbers here are all in uproar and all this kind of stuff, it's a good thing. And here's why it's a good thing. It allows the poor who couldn't necessarily afford to go and take classes or be an apprentice or things like that to go and open a business. They no longer have to have a license to open a business in a very high paying field. And if they're good at what they do, the market will will reward them. If they're not good at what they do, the market will punish them. All right. Um, So it's, again, we have to trust the market. Now, we can talk about are there is there just regulation of the market yes there is and we can talk about that but ultimately regulation of the market should be few and far between it shouldn't there shouldn't be a lot of regulation um and if you've ever tried to start a small business if you've ever tried to just get a job doing anything you almost have to have a license to do anything today 
Well, that's a hurdle that a lot of poor people can't overcome um, to start a business. They may love doing something very much, but not having a license could prevent them from doing that. So a lot, you know, we can come down to, um, you know, one of the things that I look at now, you know, is we, we now require, you know, degrees to um, be able to sit, for example, law school. You now, in many states, uh, in fact, I think there's only two or three states left in all 50 states that even allow you to read at the bar um, or read the law. Uh, the rest require that you have an ADA accredited law degree to be even be able to sit down and take the law to, to be able to take the bar exam. And as someone who went to law school for a year and struggled, first of all, you teach yourself the law anyways. Your professors will tell you, we're not going to be, we're not going to spoon feed you the law. You have to go study it. So you're doing it any, you're doing the work anyways. Professors, all the professors do is help guide you in a certain direction. So it's basically like reading the law. But you've got to pay ninety to you got to pay ninety to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars just to just to get the right to be able to take a test, and I think that that's I think that's I mean I'll be honest with you I think that's gross, I think mean, I think it's horrible that we do that. Now, the arguments will be well this is how we keep people from being lawyers this is how we keep satura- keep from saturating the market with with lawyers. Well, okay, great, but again. Remember what I said about the market. The market will regulate it for you. A good lawyer is worth his weight in gold. All right, we can talk about lawyer all we want, and we can talk about those things all we want, but a good lawyer is worth his weight in gold, okay? And he's going to help you. It's just like a doctor. You want a good doctor who, you know, can fix you. When you need a lawyer, you want a good lawyer, okay? And... And so to tell people, no, you can't go to a library and check out books and spend most of your time reading the law. And then if you pass the bar, you can't serve as a lawyer. Well, passing the bar demonstrates that, you know, you have a competency in the law, that you know how to study the law, that you understand how to write the law. I mean, and and here's another thing, too. If you need to know how to write legal briefs, there are tons of websites out there that can show you how to do that. So I think when we look at how things have done, why, why were licenses, why were these regulations put? Well, they were, they were, they were protectionist. They, they're done exactly why I just said they want to keep the, the market from being saturated with lawyers. You know, it's protectionist. It's, licensures are wholly protectionist. All right. It, it allows people to charge more money for that profession. Okay, the less people that are there, they can charge more money for what they do. And people are forced to have to pay it. Okay, so again, that's another topic on another day. Um, Pete Buttigieg really struck a chord with me because he, he, he parades himself as this moralist. He parades himself as this Christian moralist. And unfortunately for, Pete, for, for Mayor Pete, um, his morals are, are skewed. And they don't really align with scripture. But I digress. 
The main thing that I really want to talk about is an interesting article that I read, um, and, and and again, it, it it comes from the Daily Caller, but it is um, the news story is out there, okay? And and again, the Daily Caller is a um, is what people would say, you know, a right wing conservative uh, newspaper, but it talks about that. Uh, Antifa or anti-fascists, which is out there. Um, these are these black hooded, uh, masked vigilantes that are out there who um, believe that they're, you know, doing what's right by standing there and abusing and um, beating um, people who have the audacity to stand up for Western civilization. Um, and we'll, we're going to cover that here in a second. But according to um, the Daily Caller, Antifa plans a terror campaign in siege of El Paso, Texas. Okay. Why are they choosing El Paso, Texas? Well, they're choosing El Paso, Texas, one, because it's the largest city on the border. Okay. Um, they're choosing that for one. Okay. More people come through El Paso. Uh, more people cross the border at El Paso than any other border crossing, save maybe Tijuana, okay? Um, and I think even more than Tijuana. I think Tijuana may be the second most than probably Brownsville and, and all these other different places. But El Paso has a very large Hispanic population. Uh, El Paso is overwhelmingly Democrat in its voting, all right? Um, again, because of the large Hispanic population. Um, this is where Beto O'Rourke, uh, Francis Beto O'Rourke, oh Frankie, uh, this is what this was the district he represented. He's from El Paso. Uh, that's one of the reasons why he used his pseudonym Beto throughout his campaign. He wanted to convince, and, and let's be honest, even though he said he didn't, even though he said that that was has been his nickname his whole life, it hasn't been his nickname his whole life. He used that as a means to attract Hispanic voters in Texas, and he was very successful at doing that. Many Hispanic voters voted for him because he had a Hispanic um, nickname, okay? Even though he's as Irish as me, all right? And in fact, I'm probably more Hispanic than he is, just saying. So, uh, looking at Antifa, all right? Again, going back and uh, to focus on policy. Uh, Antifa has been in the news a lot lately, uh, really going back to Charlottesville back in 2017, uh, I was living in Virginia. I was living in Lynchburg, Virginia at the time that that happened. Lynchburg is about 45 minutes from Charlottesville. Um, and I will tell you that the national news media did not really report um, Charlottesville accurately. Uh, Antifa went in there, started, started um, they, basically, they were the aggressor. Now, granted, what made the news was the young man who drove his car into the crowd of Antifa killing uh, a young lady. And uh, again, that was horrible. But understand, Antifa was the one causing the problems. The, the, pro the protesters that were there were peaceful. They were there protesting the, the city's decision to tear down a, a statue, a Confederate soldier statue. Um, and Antifa came there and caused a bunch of problems. They were pepper spraying people who, you know, were arguing with them, um, which is what a protest is. But again, this is Antifa. Antifa is also the people who threw the milkshake with cement in the bottom of the cup at, uh, at reporter Andy No. 
giving any Noah brain, brain bleed, beating him, uh, doing all these things. These are not good people, okay? Um, and so why, why is this important? Well, one, if we look, if we look at Antifa, okay, uh, Antifa got into a skirmish uh, back in July 6th with, with a group called Proud Boys. Now, Proud Boys is a very unfortunate name, all right, because it harkens people's, it elicits people's thoughts to white pride, okay? Uh, you th I mean, I even know. When I, when I heard the name Proud Boys, I was thinking, oh, great, this is a white pride group, you know? This is a white pride, white nationalist um, group, blah, 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 blah. But if you, if you look at Edwin McGinnis, the man who helped found Proud Boys, and you look at uh, his background, I mean, the dude helped create Vice, the, the now popular cable channel, okay? He helped create Vice. He's a comedian. He's a libertarian. Um, there's not a racist bone in the man's body, and yet he helped create Proud Boys. Well, what, proud, what is Proud Boys? Proud Boys is an organization that's proud of Western civilization. It doesn't care about race. It, matter of fact, it clearly states that in its um it clearly states that in its um uh web page all you got to do is type in proud boys go to the web page cursory search again simple stuff and this is we're going to talk about that here in a second because we're going to we're going to put a pin in what we've been talking about we're going to come back to it guys it's simple research if you're not going out there in researching what you're reading, researching what you're hearing, if you're not going out there and finding it for yourself, you're going to be misled. You're going to be taken down a rabbit hole. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Go and do your own research. Research these people. Like Proud Boys, I'm like, man, what has Proud Boys been? That really, that really, my gut and my, you know, it, it brought up a very visceral reaction. I'm like, oh, it's white pride movement. Well, then I went and looked it up and went, oh, no, it's not. It's a Western cultural movement. Pe all, people of all religions, uh, people of all colors, of all sexes, all right, are welcome to join that group. So, again, it's, it's one of these scenes where it's like you, gotta, you can't just let visceral reaction and what the news tells you going on. They're proud, and they're, and they're proud, and they're going to defend themselves. Well, again, you mix Antifa and Antifa going out there and causing problems, they're going to cause problems. And again, in D.C., um, Antifa demonstrators and, and, and Proud Boys got into a fight. And um, they, they started duking it out. Well, why? Because they were defending themselves. Well, the same thing happened in New York. There's another... There's another case where the Proud Boys are now, there's nine people in New York being tried for beating up an individual. Well, they, they don't, what they don't tell you in the news reports is that that individual started attacking them. He started it and they finished it. All right. And so these, these young men are, these young men are being persecuted because they believe that Western, they call themselves Western civilization or Western chauvinists. All right. In other words, they don't care. They're proud of Western civilization. And, and again, we, we're going to talk more about Western civilization. Western civilization is something to be proud of. Western civilization brought us out of the Middle Ages, okay, out of the Dark Ages. Um, you want to look at a lot of these places around the world that have not advanced 
past the Middle Ages, it's because they did not embrace Western civilization. Western civilization is the reason why we have this. And there are a lot of books, and just do your own history, but a great book to read about how Western civilization changed the world and ultimately America as a result of Western civilization changed the world is The 5,000-Year Leap by Dub Cleo Sklausen. Or Sklausen, yeah. It's a really good book. It's, he was a George Washington law professor, uh, wrote for the National Center of Constitutional Studies, um, and it's a great book. You need to read it. It will, it will open your eyes to, again, kind of like what we talked about last time, Christian nationalism. Um, again, we're talking about that. So Antifa is kind of the response. Anti, uh, they, they call themselves anti-fascists. All right. Um, and again, it's the left crazy definition of, of a fascist, which is anybody who disagrees with them is, is basically a, anyone on the right wing is a fascist. Um, because they have a they have a very um, inaccurate political spectrum that they look at, um, and again, a political spectrum. What is a political spectrum? Political spectrum. If you imagine a line graph, okay. Um, if you imagine you know plotting points on a line, all right, like you used to do in math, okay, for negative and positive numbers. All right, all the way over to the left on the left hand side of the graph or the spectrum is totalitarianism. All the way over to the right is anarchy, state of nature. All right? And where you find most people is in the middle. Okay? And that's where, and then the term left wing and right wing actually comes from the days of parliament where people who sat in the right wing typically were more conservative. People who sat in the left wing were typically more liberal. All right? Well, classical liberalism is kind of in the middle of this, pers- of this spectrum. Um, to today's modern conservatism is, is slightly to the right, all right? And uh, today's progressivism is in between classical liberalism and totalitarianism over there, okay? Libertarianism is a little more, depending on how libertarian you are, the further right you go, the more libertarian you are, okay? That is the definition. Matter of fact, many people who claim to be anarchists really aren't anarchists, they're communists. Okay, they want to live on communes, they want to help each other out, they want to... Okay, now, this is one of the reasons why, if you look at the ideology of progressives, it's not very progressive at all, it's actually very regressive in the, in the, in the, in, in the way that history portrays government. Uh, it's one of the reasons why... When you study government, you've got to study history. Um, It's so funny. I remember when I was going through um, learning how to teach AP civics so that I could teach it to my high school kids. Um, I was going through an AP certification. Sorry about that. A little technical difficulty. Uh, but continuing where we were going, I, I had a uh, the lady who was the dean of the or the head of the political science department at a local university where I was attending came to our class and told us that we didn't need to teach history with government, with civics, that we didn't need to do that, that that was not necessary. It wasn't important. We didn't need to know history with it. So don't do it. And, and I, I didn't say anything at the time. Um, I didn't, I didn't challenge her opinion. But I went, how, do, how can you look at policy? How can you look at government and not 
look at where that policy and that government and the government that shaped that policy. Otherwise, you never learn not to make the same mistakes. And I think if that is the prevailing wisdom of political science departments across the country is that we don't look at the history, we just look at the policy. No wonder we've got some really bad policy coming out. And no, no, no wonder we are repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, people say that, um, you know, history repeats itself. Well, it doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it definitely has an echo. And um, so what we want to look at is when we're, when we're looking at this policy, we want to look at, you know, we can, we can take history and we can apply it um, to, to policy and, to, and allow it to shape how we view these this policy. And so Western civilization shaped this country. Okay, The philosophy of Western civilization shaped this country. Progressives actually reject Western civilization's pol- or philosophy. Um, in that they reject the forward movement that we were taking and now they accept a, n- a new philosophy which disguises itself as an original philosophy but it really honestly it's a rejection of all the progress we've made and that's postmodernism all right postmodernism wants to take us back postmodernism mixed with marxism Wants to, take, wants to take us back pre-government. All right, That's why a lot of these anarchists think that they're being anarchists because they want to get rid of government and they want to just go to these, these communes. Well, that's communism, guys. And you can't have communism without government. And, and it's oppressive. So Antifa, it kind of raised out of this group. It was kind of, it, it kind of the primordial um, ooze of these progressive organizations, these radical organizations, you always see these kind of radical, you have the student democratic, the student democrats of the 1960s, the leather underground of the 1960s, you, you have these kind of radical groups kind of pop up, and then, and then they get, you know, they get too radical, and they get rejected by the moderates in the parties, okay, and the same thing happens here, okay, They're, they just, you know, this is what's going on, Antifa is rising out, well, the difference now is, whereas the students didn't, the student Democrats in the 1960s, the Weather Underground, they never had supporters, never had supporters in the media, um, or if they did, they, they kept quiet. I mean, it, it was always, it was always rejected, okay? That's not true today. You have people like Don Lemon on CNN, uh, Andrew Cuomo you know, talking about how the Antifa is this good organization. Uh, you have people, you have uh, MS, you have NBC bringing the, uh, bringing the founder of Antifa on Meet the Press to discuss how Antifa is actually ethical. All right, last time I checked, throwing a milkshake with cement at the bottom of the cup is not ethical, especially when you are beating up someone who hasn't physically assaulted you. So this is Antifa. Okay, uh, or anti-fascist, uh, short, Antifa is short for Antifa. And again, it's a radical organization, okay? Um, matter of fact, there were calls recently by my uh, senator, Senator Ted Cruz, to label Antifa a domestic terrorist organization. Um, and rightfully so, especially when you look 
at the fact that they want to come to, I mean, they literally say they want to plan a terror campaign and siege of El Paso. Well, let me tell you something. And, and if you're not from Texas and you're, and you're listening to this podcast, what you need to understand is even though El Paso is largely Democrat, Texans are Texans, and you ain't going to tell Texans what to do. And you want to come in to you want to come in and do a ten day siege of El Paso. You're going to get a lot of people from outside of El Paso who are going to come in and tell you get out. Uh, Texans are are, are their own breed of people. Uh, We don't we're not Southern, we're not Southwestern. We are our own breed of people, and you don't come into Texas and mess with Texas. All right, you, you just don't do it, and you're not going to cause a bunch of problems in Texas, and you're not going to come in and start harassing people and hurting people. Um, Texans will take care of you, and, and our police departments will take care of you. We're not like Portland, where we're just going to let you get away with everything. No, no, no. Our police departments will crack skulls, especially if you want to hurt people. All right, our police department doesn't play. So they're welcome to come down here and stage peaceful protests. They're welcome to come down and rant and rave and spread their their hate all over the city of, of El Paso. That's their free that's their freedom. But the minute they get violent, trust me, the police officers of El Paso will shut it down. All right. We don't play like that in Texas. All right. If you want to go be violent and you want to go do those things, have fun in Portland. Have fun in California, where people think you're cute. But in Texas, we don't think you're cute. Okay. We, we expect you to behave yourself, is what we say here in Texas. You better behave yourself. All right. So, again, we're looking at Antifa. We're looking at these things. Um, and I, w- I would love to go on more, but honestly, I think this is enough. I think you get the idea. Um, I think that, you know, we're looking at where... Obama, when he ran for president, he wanted to fundamentally transform America. And I think he was successful in that. I think he was. I think the eight years of his presidency fundamentally transformed us. I don't think it transformed us in a positive way. And a lot of his policies didn't get enacted. But as a culture, it fundamentally transformed us. And I think when, when you look at what are the best policies to be pursuing right now, I think there are policies that need to be done to right the ship. Um, we, have, we have a president right now who, if you attack him, he's going to attack you. I think the next president we get needs to not shy away from debate, but needs to do so with humility and love. I think that's what we need next. Um, I think we need a strong leader, someone who will stand up and do what he says he'll do. But I think we need someone who isn't going to react like a child every single time. Now, am I going to vote for Trump in the next election? Yes, I am. He's, he's, pro- he's fulfilled his promises. Very rare. Okay? I think we can trust him when he says what he's going to do. He's going to do it. Um, and when I look at the Democratic field, I don't see anybody I could throw my hat behind. They're just too radical. 
every one of their policies is the wrong direction for this country. So I thank everyone for coming to today's class. Um, I hope to do this again tomorrow. And otherwise, God bless.